My dad had asked me to speak, and he gave me a couple topics. Uh, for some reason, I chose uh, work as a topic. I'd, I don't know, it was like it was just instantaneous reaction. Oh, I want to take the work one. Um, and then I realized my, my millennial generation doesn't really like work that much. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I brought along a few uh, memes to kind of help with that, just to get a good picture of how millennials normally see work, you know. And then the uh, next one, I like this one a lot. This is the third time you've been late to work this week. Do you know what that means? It's Wednesday. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we don't really like work, but uh, all of us here um, work in our lives. Uh, it, it's, it's something, uh, whether it's you know, with your hands or, or with your mind or, or, or some kind of rigorous activity. We all, we all kind of work. And we're using some passages in uh, Proverbs to kind of get at this idea. And Proverbs is a really great book for this. Uh, and there are a couple scattered ideas. Um, you don't have to open up your, your Bible. I just have it up here. I'll just kind of read through them. Uh, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Uh, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Whoever loves discipline and loves knowledge, uh, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That's an NIV for you. <laughs> you, don't, you don't even want to know what the KJV said. Um, and then, uh, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with justice. So some of these honestly just seem obvious. We're, we're supposed to value justice over injustice. Okay, we got that. We're supposed to value hard work over, um, you know, kind of lazy work, trying to get more out of your labor than what's due. Uh, and we especially value people with integrity. However, to simply read them this way is to take them kind of out of context. And if we open our Bibles and read these out of context, then these wisdom sayings kind of match up with the sayings of our greatest life coaches, uh, like Dave Ramsey, Tony Robbins, and Dale Carnegie. Uh, really great books if you ever get to read them. But out of context, these sayings have the same tone as maybe someone who uh, it tells you if you work hard, rewards will follow. So there are many passages in Proverbs that seem to follow along these lines, and if that is in fact what these passages mean, then I just give up right now. <laughs> because, first of all, I'm not as handsome as some of these guys. Next slide. Let's check this guy out. He's, he's a handsome guy. Wouldn't you rather listen to him than me? Um, but you might as well leave this room right now, go home and pick up Tony Robbins' book, because I can't compete with him. I can't motivate you to want to do things like he can, especially because I'm a philosopher. I, can, I can't motivate anyone to do anything. I can't, I can't motivate myself to do anything. Uh, it's part of the, the, the discipline there. But thankfully, these passages, I think, have very little to do with motivation um, in all of Proverbs, really, and, and very little to do with any kind of uh, just how-to in life. The reason uh, we often tend to read them that way is primarily, uh, or the reason we try to read them as a how-to book is a, a symptom of a more serious kind of, kind of, uh, we'll call it like a, a disease that's like invaded the way we read scripture. Um, and it keeps us from reading scripture 
uh, a lot of scripture as it should be read. Uh, and I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just trying to say that the book of Proverbs and all its wisdom sayings uh, kind of sit in a larger context. And in order to understand that, we need to kind of get rid of this bias that keeps us from understanding it. So once we've diagnosed the issue, um, what, the, what we're going to, uh, about to go into, we will not only clearly see how these sayings are incorporated into our work lives, but we can start to see how our work uh, is more than just what we do from nine to five, but as an extension of our callings on this earth. So uh, if you go to the next slide, which I cannot, yes. Uh, this, this kind of interpretive problem is um, often called the sacred versus the secular divide. So as a pre-warning, I'm gonna take several minutes uh, getting to the heart of this interpretive issue. Uh, now, I, I do have my one point that you all walk away with, uh, but I, in order to get there, we're going to have to kind of cross some boundaries, stretch our minds a bit, especially myself, because uh, it's just, it's very far reaching. That's, that's the idea. Not that it's hard to understand, just that it's very, it's, it's just everywhere. Um, so to start, how many of us have seen a movie? Most of us have seen a movie. Uh, an action movie? Most of us, hopefully, yeah. A Christian movie? Uh, less hands. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and then how many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? Okay, good amount of people. So um, for, for those of you who have seen both, uh, let's kind of compare those for a second. Um, are, they this, are Lord of the Rings and Christian movies the same? It's an obscure question and it's meant to be. I mean... Not really, most of us would say no. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm meaning it to be kind of an obscure question for a reason, uh, but why not? Anybody got any reasons why they're not the same? Christian movies are often trying to preach or prove a point about Christianity, whereas yeah. Lord of the Rings is trying to tell a story. Tell a story, yeah, that's a really good, good way of putting it. Yeah, so you've got uh, different different content for sure. Uh, purposes and goals seem to be different. Um, it's, it, it, at least on the face of it, they've got different themes in the movie uh, and different characters. There's no Jesus, <laughs> no God, and one has a heck of a lot of violence in it. Um, so there are many ways to answer that question, which is why it was kind of uh, a vague and obscure question. Uh, but in one sense, they have very little in common uh, they definitely don't straight, uh, share straightforward content, focus, and especially budget. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> um, uh, next slide. Uh, however, one way of looking at uh, analyzing these particular movies is through their various themes of, of courage, uh, friendship, redemption, uh, corruption, sin, death, life, resurrection. The reason it's so easy to compare a uh, Christian movie would say Lord of the Rings is because the person who wrote Lord of the Rings was a devout Christian. Um, a mind that loved Jesus uh, created and shaped the word of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the world, sorry. Created and shaped the world of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so I think they share some similarities. In fact, he himself was responsible for um, helping lead the way to C.S. Lewis's conversion. Um, but, but here's the thing I was trying to get at when I was asking that really obscure question. Uh, are they the same movie? Um, we were just kind of knee-jerk, like, no, you know. We didn't stop and say, like, oh, well, there are different movies, but there are some similarities with, like, yada, yada, yada. It was, like, immediately, like, no. 
They're not the same movie. Um, we didn't answer it the way that we would answer a question if somebody uh, came up to us and asked us, are you a good person? You know, kind of an obscure question. If, if we're honest, we'll probably say something like, well, yes, but I mean, I tend to lie sometimes. Maybe I don't hold the door open for everybody. Uh, maybe I eat the last cookie in the cookie jar. So maybe not like the greatest person, but <laughs> I'm a good person. But we didn't answer the, the movie question that way. So the reason I was saying that is because to point out how we tend to carve up uh, categories between a Christian movie and a non-Christian movie. Uh, it's a phenomenon that's not only in movies, and if you would believe it, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's in arts and politics and uh, uh, work and, and education. Um, and so it's just, uh, it, it's just everywhere right now. Um, and back then, people just didn't quite see these distinctions as, as vividly as we do. So um, the distinction itself, though, if you go to the next slide, uh, the distinction itself, if you would deny that we do live in an increasingly secular society, um, it's shocking the kinds of things we hear about on a daily basis. I mean, my goodness, we barely have time to recover from hearing about the Colorado Baker uh, getting sued, to now we're hearing movements about removing In God We Trust off the dollar bill. Um, I mean, you just, it's just hard to keep track of all the maybe anti-Christian uh, movements that are going on. But would you believe me today if I told you that the worst problems um, that have been gained for secular um, termed things is not actually coming from the anti-Christian movements. It's actually coming from us. Uh, just like the movie example, we without question acknowledge cru crucial aspects of culture like art, business, economics, politics, movies, education as being primarily non-religious and therefore non-Christian in essence. Uh, so next slide. The sacred, the first uh, kind of area, um, broadly you have the more broad categories over here that I've kind of separated. Um, but the sacred things are things like, you know, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, uh, going to any kind of social gathering with um, a church focus. Um, some people would even put giving, giving money to charity or volunteering at the local shelter in this category. And I would even say we put Christian movies in this category. And, and don't lie, you know it's different <laughs> um, going to see those movies. Uh, so on the other side um, are primarily the things that are just non-religious or religiously neutral. Uh, for example, I don't normally think of a shower as being one of my prime spiritual disciplines. Um, but there, uh, there is just, you know, everything in that category. Working out, walking dogs, going to see movies, painting, buying a car, and especially going to work. Um, and actually, if you go to the next slide, that was, there we go, yeah. Um, so I, I would say there is probably a middle category here, and this is the Christianized secular things. So uh, like I said with the shower, it's not primarily a religious discipline, but if you pray during the shower, it's a sacred shower. Um, or uh, Instagram, you know, you, t you take a selfie, it's not really very, very sacred or religious, but if you put a Bible verse in there, it's a, it's a sacred Instagram post. Um, I've done it, I'm just, I'm just kind of joking around. Everybody's done it, like, uh, but anyway, so, 
uh, let's take a, another example of where we make these distinctions uh, regularly. Um, I think one of the more obvious ones for us is, is education. Um, it's one of the strangest phenomenons in recent history, maybe the last hundred years, that um, we have completely removed religion and religious topics from schools. Uh, I mean, that's just crazy. How did, how did this happen? Um, it's because of just a few short events in recent history where we let ourselves believe that Christianity has no place in a classroom. But I'm, I'm sorry, this is just one of the stupidest things anyone could think. And the reason is, uh, next slide, you, you don't get any of these people um, when you eliminate Christianity. Uh, the amount of, uh, this is just literature, um, but the amount of reading material you get from literature is only now an inch deep. So you lose Milton, uh, John Milton, you're completely lost in Shakespeare. Um, you have no hope of coming into contact with Dante, and I don't know if you know this, there's roughly a divide in the English-speaking world. We think like Shakespeare's like the guy in uh, the other side of Europe and like Italy, Dante is the guy. But I didn't know that until like a couple years ago, um, and certainly had never had a chance to read him until recently. Uh, and then uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and everyone's kind of read that young Goodman Brown, Scarlet Letter. Um, you just cannot understand the intricacies of what's going on uh, absent Christianity. And then, uh, you know, let's look at history. The Reformation, one of the most important events uh, in Christianity, um, and certainly in, in the Western cultural history, all I learned about that was that some guy posted 95 theses on a door. Um, Christianity is the, is the cornerstone of history, the arts, and major intellectual ideas in the West for uh, roughly uh, almost two millennia. And yet, we are more comfortable letting administrators, politicians, and teachers tell us that religion doesn't belong here. And, and why is that? I mean, I only used really literature and history, but um, contributions in the sciences and, and, and everything. Um, and then uh, if you go to the next slide, is, here's the arts. Uh, I don't know, it, people have probably seen this picture. It's really bad quality, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but it's uh, done by one of the uh, Renaissance uh, guys, uh, Raphael. And um, really great picture. It's one of my, one of my personal favorites. But then uh, on, the, on the left here, your left, is uh, from the Dallas Museum of Modern Art. Um, so I, I am not one of those people that is real critical of like all art. Like I love a wide range of things. I, I even uh, tend to like Jackson Pollock, even though people say it's just, you know, slapping paint everywhere. Um, I like Van Gogh, you know, maybe not the most detailed people. But we were at this display, and I'm surprised I found a picture of it. It's not a very popular one. Uh, it's really at the front of the museum. And do you see this red uh, circle where we've kind of highlighted it? So it's a, um, I tried to give it a chance. I just, I approach it neutral. It's, it's, it's a big block of stone. <laughs> and I walked up to it and there's a little information about the artist. He's a stonemason, um, reading a little bit about him. And I just sit there looking at it and I just, I just don't get it. I like, I, and I, I'm trying to like put myself in different perspectives. Like, was it hard to chop the stone out? Was it difficult to carve the edges off? You know, what, what exactly about this is just striking in an artistic way? And I just couldn't do it. Um, it's just real strange and obscure. Um, and not really saying that because we've lost religion and art, we've 
lost all kinds of beauty. But there is kind of a, a, a trend where they're moving towards more obscure ideas of beauty and less objective ideas of beauty. Um, and then uh, finally, the movies. I mean, I don't know if uh, I'm the only one here who's noticed this. I hope not. Um, movies are kind of following a similar trend, uh, not necessarily in content, but purpose. Um, but surprisingly, though, as I said, uh, it's us who are accepting and promoting these distinctions. Uh, we do this most in our, in our workplace. So I want to focus specifically on the workplace. This is going to kind of narrow it a little bit. Um, obviously, the sacred and secular thing breaches a lot of areas. But uh, for most of us who don't have jobs in the ministry, um, which I imagine is, is, is a majority of us just on average, um, we put our jobs, uh, next slide, we put our jobs in the, uh, the secular area and we put our church activities and things like that in the uh, sacred area. But this just seems really, really off because um, we just don't spend a lot of time at church. So if, if, we're, if we're making this distinction a real thing and we just put it at the end of our lives on a scale, if, if we keep this distinction alive, the work would far outweigh uh, how much time we spend at church. Your average amount of time you spend at work is going to be somewhere around 40 to 50 hours a week. The amount of time you spend at church, if we're generous, might be like three hours, um, give or take some different events you go to uh, throughout your life. But under this distinction, uh, does this really look like a Christian life to you? I'm not asking if this person is saved or not. That's, that's not what I'm asking. I'm just asking, just, just by looking at it under this distinction, does that look like a Christian life to you? It really doesn't to me. And the reason for that is because, uh, next slide, I think that there is a, a spiritual, spiritual significance to our lives of work that often goes um, unnoticed. Uh, I would even go as far as to say that we were, we were partly made to work. Uh, God's first example to us in creation is that of working. For six days he worked, on the seventh day he rested. Uh, his commands to Adam were that he go out and work. Uh, most of our, and then moving into like just your practical everyday life, most of your education is geared towards preparing you to work and to have successful lives. Uh, our lives are just wrapped around this notion of work. Um, but I think it's, it's not really at least in a Christian sense, meant to be looked at as just a means of survival or a way to get to success or to finally get towards that retirement or to make enough money to go hang out with friends and go travel. Um, but there's, there's a, a spiritual element to this. Um, I won't spend a lot of time on that idea because that could just be a whole sermon in itself. We're created to work. But I want us to see that there is a part of God, this is a part of God's plan for us. And it has a spiritual significance um, to it that is totally ruined when we put this distinction in place. Um, we need to be willing to give ourselves over to an understanding of work as a, as a calling and not just as a means of survival. So if you, uh, if you look at verse Colossians 3, starting at verse 22, uh, through 24. Um, and then I have it, yeah, up here. I included verse 22 because I'm not afraid that it says slaves. <laughs> um, and the reason I say that is because obviously we're not slaves, right? <laughs> when we go to work, except my generation might disagree. 
Um, Slaves, obey your master, your earthly masters in everything. And do not, not only when, uh, and do it, sorry, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, as I said, I recognize that uh, this verse is about slaves, but it is a message focused on the relation of, of our relation, sorry, of a relation to God and work in general. Obviously, we are not slaves, we're employees, um, and most millennials, uh, like I said, would disagree. But I do think that most of us at least share in the idea that work is somehow disconnected from the sacred realm. And according to Paul in this passage, though, he completely dismantles that distinction. Uh, and a great way to show this is, is a video that I want to show you today. Um, has anyone seen Chariots of Fire? It's the one where it's like... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, um, I'm not going to show that scene, but even though that, that's a great scene too. Uh, but the, the movie, it's a great movie about a Christian man named uh, Eric Lydell who uh, goes to compete in the Olympics. But unfortunately, while he's on the way there, he finds out that the, his event is on the Sabbath. He honors the Sabbath and refuses to participate. In this section, we're about to see uh, the higher-ups in the British government, like the generals and prime minister and stuff, will try to persuade him to, uh, to run in his event despite those convictions. And if you would share the video. May I present Mr. Eric Liddell? Delighted, Liddell. Delighted. I saw you play for Scotland. Pressed me no end. Ran in a couple of tries from your own half, I remember. <laughs> I believe I did so, yes. Well, nice to have you on the same side at last. Excellent effort of Lindsay's, don't you think? He did well, sir. He did indeed. An example to us all. Eric, uh, may I introduce His Grace, the Duke of Sutherland, President of our Olympic Association. How do you do? And our chairman, Lord Cadogan. Have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Cigar? Oh, no, of course you don't. Nor drink. Such is the resolution of the young man you have before you, gentlemen. Lord Birkenhead has advised us as to your attitude towards your participation in the 100 meters heats little or would your non-participation be more accurate it would sir. yes we were also consulted as to the correct manner in which to approach the french something we just can't allow to happen going cap and hand to the frogs of all people simply out of the question simple matter of national dignity a little being a patriot i'm sure you understand well i must say sir i felt it was an impractical suggestion from the start well, why did you say so ma'am as an athlete, you value economy of effort. I wanted to run. And I was desperate enough to try anything. Well, all that being understood, we decided to invite you in for a little chat to see if there's any way that we can help resolve the situation. There's only one way to resolve the situation. That's for this man to change his mind and run. Don't state the obvious, Cadogan. We have to explore ways in which we can help this young man to reach that decision. 
I'm afraid there are no ways, sir. I won't run on the Sabbath, and that's final. I intended to confirm this with Lord Birkenhead tonight, even before you called me up in front of this inquisition of yours. Don't be impertinent, Niddle. The impertinence lies, sir, with those who seek to influence a man to deny his beliefs. On the contrary, Niddle, we're appealing to your beliefs, in your country and your king, your loyalty to them. Yeah, yeah. In my day, it was king first, God after. Yes, and the war to end wars bitterly proved your point. God made countries. God makes kings and the rules by which they govern. And those rules say that the Sabbath is his. And I, for one, intend to keep it that way. Mr. Little, you're a child of your race, as I am. We share a common heritage, a common bond, a common loyalty. There are times when we're asked to make sacrifices in the name of that loyalty. And without them, our allegiance is worthless. As I see it, for you, this is such a time. Sir, God knows I love my country. But I can't make that sacrifice. Lord Lindsay. I do apologize for barging in like this. Fact is, I am fully aware of Eric's dilemma. And I wondered if I could be so bold as to suggest a possible solution. Dude. Yes. Another day, another race. What the devil's that supposed to mean? It's quite simple, as a matter of fact, sir. 400 meters. It's on Thursday. I've already got my medal. So why don't you let Eric take my place in the quarter? I think that's a splendid idea. Can we allow him to change events at such short notice? That's a matter for the committee. We are the committee. I think it's a very good idea, David. All those in favor say aye. 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 Little. And a pleasure, chap. Just to see you run. Aye. <laughs> well, that's settled. Sticky moment, George. Mm. Thank God for Lindsay. I thought the lad had us beaten. He did have us beaten, Effie. And thank God he did. But I'm quite sorry. Well, the lad, as you call him, is a, a true man of principle and a true athlete. His speed is a mere extension of his life, its force. We sought to sever his running from himself. For his country's sake, yes. No sake is worth that, Effie. Least of all, a guilty national pride. I love that part of the movie because um, I don't know if you if you noticed. I mean, they're all pretty proper in there, but uh, he was getting some tremendous pressure <laughs> to overturn his uh, 
his, his uh, conviction there. But uh, I want you to pay attention, especially to that last part where they, they acknowledge, um, uh, oh, he almost had us beaten. And then um, uh, that other Lord was like, no, he had us beaten from the beginning. <laughs> um, and the reason being is because his speed is a mere extension of, of, uh, of his life. We sought to separate his running from himself. For him, it is God before king. Whatever the mind fervently believes in, and whether higher deal, uh, ordeal or mere superstition, uh, has the power to evoke a response from life, the power of Eric's belief is equal to the power of all those in his community who share that belief. So his belief fuels that calling. They're not one thing, which is like his job. Uh, if you pull up the uh, last slide that I had up, yeah. It's, it's not one thing like his job over here in the secular, his running. Um, and then another thing over here, his belief to hold in the Sabbath. He just sees them as, as one thing. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another um, uh, a really great theologian, he thinks that work itself is a type of prayer that we offer uh, by Christians to God. Um, in his quote, he says, Thus the prayer of the Christian reaches beyond its set time and extends into the heart of his work. It includes the whole day, and in doing so, it does not hinder the work. It promotes it, affirms it, and lends it meaning and joy. Thus every word, every work, every labor of the Christian becomes a prayer, not in the unreal sense of a constant turning away from the task that must be done, but in a real breakthrough, breaking through the hard it to the gracious thou. Uh, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, which was our verse. Um, so to bring out the example of what he's talking about there, let's imagine that I work with you in an office. We all, we all work together. We have lots of fun. Um, anyone ever seen the office? Yeah, we have that kind of relationship. Um, but we're also Christians. And one day you come to me and ask me, uh, how's your ministry of work going? And this is my response to you. Well, it's going good. As you know, I try to pray for people often. Anytime I see someone sick, I run over to him or her and ask to pray for them. When someone, uh, someone's relatives pass away, I make them food, bring it to their home. And during lunch breaks, I try to run Bible studies. Anyone see an issue with the way that I responded to that question? I answered that question. Um, what you had asked me about my ministry of work, but I went and told you everything except work. <laughs> um, when I'm doing all that stuff, I'm not working. In fact, if I'm running around praying for all sick people in the office, uh, especially during flu season, <laughs> I, may be, I may even be stealing time from my company. Um, I would be a Christian whose ministry of work is not working. <laughs> um, so I'm not saying that we shouldn't evangelize at work. Any opportunity that's given to share your faith, love others, uh, should obviously uh, be taken. But we shouldn't view these uh, as the only kind of ministry that we have at work. Another type of ministry that I believe we have is the job itself. Yeah. Uh, God is thoroughly concerned with what kind of work we do and how we do it. But under this sacred secular distinction, he isn't involved in it, if you're going to parse it out that way. So, um, just moving on to my application, and I'm going to be finishing up pretty soon, so I'll have uh, the worship team come up. Uh, my application for us today is not really a simple uh, to-do. Um, it's more of a mindset. It's a, a realignment of the, of the mind and heart. 
It is to break down the sacred and secular distinction as it pertains to work and that, as the verse says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. When we do away with the sacred and secular um, distinctions, we think of work more as a calling, an extension of our faith that gives us purpose in work. The work itself becomes a ministry to God. We offer it up as a prayer to God, and as Bonhoeffer said, uh, or as Bonhoeffer said, it drives us to do good and excellent work. It allows us to recognize that regardless of whatever work setting we are in, it is God we serve and not any man or woman. When we recognize that and go back to Proverbs in those verses, um, anytime you go back to Proverbs and, and in the Bible, now I think the wisdom associated with it, if you remember this, uh, this kind of uh, distinction that we need to do away with, it's just completely open to you. Indeed, I think much of it just follows from having the heart to do all things unto God. We do not work for some means of survival or success, especially when it comes to the church and our service to God. We go and work because we love God. We go to work as a people of integrity, uh, people who are reliable, people who value justice, people who do not lie, because we are serving, um, we are not serving our earthly masters, but we are serving a heavenly one.